0: With the Seth done a great job today, so hopefully I can make it, make it be a good day still, come out without too bad. Um, with all the, the news going on in the world recently about the, the Supreme Court and the Roe versus Wade ruling, I thought I'd uh, give it a shot at giving a lesson on, on abortion and pro choice. And um, if you want to go ahead and be turning your Bibles to 1 Kings 21. Our lesson text is going to come from that today, uh, Ahab and Jezebel and Naboth, we all all know the lesson well, I'm sure, but hopefully we can take a look at it and, and make a few points that, uh, a few lessons we can learn from that story to, to apply to abortion and pro-choice and the debates that go on with it. Uh, when you think of pro-choice and pro-life, you know, I've... Looked up uh, the Planned Parenthood website, and that was that was not enjoyable to get on. But uh, they've got a they kind of define pro-choice in it a little bit, and I summarized it down to: they believe it, it is their right to make any choice they want regarding their life and well-being. They believe it's their right to make any choice that affects their life and well-being. Now, pro-life it, it argues that there's a larger issue, uh, a moral rightness or wrongness that. Allows you to do certain things and condemns you for doing other things. And that's, that's kind of what we'll, we'll look at today. Um, and we'll just we'll jump right into our lesson text in 1 Kings 21. We're going to read part of it then talk about it and, and go on from there. Um, but 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelites had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel. Next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. All right, so uh, Naboth. We've all heard this story before, but Naboth, we don't hear much about him throughout the rest of the scriptures. He's referred to again in 2 Kings 9, but that's about it for Naboth is what we learn about him in in chapter 21 here. Um, See that he, uh, he had a piece of ground. And whenever you're dealing in the property, they always say the three most important things of real estate is location, location, location. And he had a, a piece of ground that was probably in a pretty good location, probably worth quite a bit of money. Um, if you live, have anything that's next to the king's palace, you know, and the, pa- the king desires that piece of property, most people would be pretty excited about that. You'd think you have something that's worth quite a bit. Um, but Ahab, we, we know quite a bit about Ahab. We know uh, from scripture reading that Aiden did a few minutes ago in 1 Kings 16, he was the seventh king of Israel after a after split, after it split into the, the two kingdoms. Uh, Ahab was the seventh king of the northern kingdom. He's the son of Omri. And when you read about Omri, um, it says he was worse than any king before him. Then you read on about Ahab, where uh, what Aiden read it says Ahab was worse than Omri. So what a family legacy to have in the scriptures. Omri was the worst king that had ever been, and then Ahab was even worse than him. He had to, had to one-up his daddy and make sure that he lived up to the family name, I guess. Then it goes on to say in uh, 1631, it kind of says, you know, as if that's not bad enough, if everything that Ahab had done before wasn't bad enough, he married Jezebel. And Jezebel, she was, uh, she was famous once she, she was a card. Uh, everybody knows about Jezebel. She was one of a kind, a special girl that just, just brought laughter and delight everywhere she went. Uh, it says in uh, in verse 31 that Jezebel is the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And In my studies, it said that Ethbaal means with Baal. They, uh, they worship Baal exclusively, and she brought that as a national <laughs> religion to Israel as well. Uh, we know many of the the things that she did and how they were against God and chapter 21 and verse 25 says Jezebel stirred up Ahab to do evil so kids y'all have heard this you know from this pulpit it seems like on a weekly basis to to be careful who you marry and you hear that some less because it's important right um, Ahab married one that you know he kept him on the path he was already on I guess but it made it even worse for him Ahab uh, Jezebel stirred him up to do even more evil than what he did already So moving on, in verses 2 and 3, so so Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth of money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers to you. All right, so Ahab, he made a, well it's probably a pretty lucrative offer to Naboth. You know, Ahab was a, he was a king, His royalty, probably had unlimited amounts of wealth and resources, and I'm sure he offered Naboth something, an amount of money that was well worth the, the price of the land. Or he said he'd give him another piece of land. But Naboth, and again, this is all we know about Naboth in Scripture, is this is his only speaking lines, I think. It says, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. He refused to sell the land to Ahab. He says that God forbid him to do so. You now God had for, forbid the Israelites from selling the land that they uh, they acquired when they came into the Promised Land that He had given to them. Uh, he wanted it to stay within their families and be passed on as an inheritance throughout the generations. And if they did have to sell for poverty reasons, they even it came back to them every 50 years at the year of jubilee. And then Naboth or Ahab comes in wanting it as a vegetable garden. He wants it a place to grow his vegetables because it's next to his house. Seems like a, a rather trivial thing, right? You you can put your garden anywhere, Uh, especially if you're a king. You shouldn't have to resort to what Ahab resorts to just to put your your vegetables where you want to. But Ahab wanted it because it was close to his house, and Naboth refused. Verse 4, so Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father's. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. What do we think of the reaction of Ahab when he finally had somebody tell him no? It was childish. It's bold. You know, we would say that he went and pouted, right? You know, how would a parent react to that if they came home and their kid was sitting up in his room, wouldn't eat, had his face against the wall? Don't sound that bad, really. But, uh, you know, you get mad at him, you wouldn't let him act that way, would you? Uh, But obviously, with... uh, His parenting that we've already heard about from Omri, he might not have ever been told no before. Uh, We know that's not how we're supposed to act. That's not how we'd let our kids act today. Um, Not how you'd want your leaders or your kings to act. You know, we think we've got bad leaders today, but uh, Ahab might have had them beat. All right, moving on in verses 5 through 7. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So Ahab sat at home pouting. His wife Jezebel comes in and sees him sitting there in a bad mood, not having a good day. He says, honey, what's wrong? And he goes on and tells him that Naboth wouldn't give him his land. He wouldn't share with him. He wouldn't do what he wanted to. And Jezebel, good old Jezebel, she encourages Ahab and reminds him that he's a king, that he is king of Israel, that he can have anything he wants to. Nobody can tell him no. Like... uh just like the pro-choice today, they believed it was their right to make any choice they wanted, regardless of consequence. They believed that no one could tell them no, no one could stand in their way from doing something that they wanted to do. You know, Jezebel, she's, she's got a plan, and uh, whenever she has a plan and you're involved in it, it's probably not going to be good for you, and it's not good for Naboth, as we'll see as we read on. All right, let's read, uh, let's read verses 8 through 14. And she, Jezebel, Jezebel wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote, let, wrote in the letter, saying, Proclaim a fast, and seat Naboth with high honor among the people, and seek two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king, Then take him out and stone him that he may die. So the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast, and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city, and stoned him with stones, so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. When we hear of a, an account of a story like that, of, of just pure evil being done, it should, it should make our blood boil. You know, we should get angry, that's ridiculous, there's no, no excuse or reason for that, but it, you know, it happens so often in the world today, you know, like just this past week in Texas, other horrible tragedies that happen all the time that there's just no sense for, just evil, senseless killings, it should really, really bother us as Christians. Same with abortion. When we see and hear about all these abortions that take place on a yearly, daily basis, how many has happened since they started being legal here in the, in the U.S., it should really make our blood boil. You know, Naboth was in their way of a happy, fulfilling life. So what did they do? They had him eliminated. They got him out of the way just to make sure that he couldn't slow them down from, from doing what they wanted, from having the vegetable garden that they wanted. And Jezebel, she, we know she'd already massacred, you know, plenty of people. She'd already killed all the prophets of God. So what was one more death to her? You know, anything to, to get what they wanted, to, to get the people out of the way that were slowing them down or stopping them from, from their happiness. Moving on, we're going to read on a little bit more, verses 15 and 16. It so, says, Then it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned, and it was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead that Ahab got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. You know, seemingly uh, without hesitation or remorse, Ahab went down to take possession of the, the field, the Naboth's vineyard. He didn't. Uh, didn't think it was wrong or outside of something he should do to, to take the field of someone that he just had murdered. You know, Abraham, Ahab profited from killing Naboth, and now he was finally at peace. He was at peace from his distressed state, from being told no, and he was, he was feeling a lot better about himself. But uh, we'll see that God had, had judgment coming for them for what they had done. Verses 17 and 19. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down and take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, have you murdered and also taken possession? You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. You know the message from God was was strong and direct. And to the point, he laid the responsibility for the murder of Naboth at the feet of Ahab and Jezebel. Not just Jezebel, it says Ahab was just as complicit in it because he he let it happen. Um, you know, their evil choices were were actually going to have consequences. You know, there's going to be judgment and, and punishment for them for what they have done, and we can we can expect no less today. Verses 20 to 24. And Ahab said to Elijah, "Have you found me, O my enemy?" And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity, and will cut off Ahab, every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of the Baptist, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation in which you have provoked me to anger, and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. Now their evil choices were not without consequence. When you think about the end of of Ahab and Jezebel, and these things do come to pass in uh, the next chapter, Ahab uh, meets his end, and later in 2 Kings, I I think it's chapter 9, I didn't write that down, Jezebel, uh, dies as well, just the way that God said they would happen. When you think about that, you know, there's, there's many ways to die. And that's not a, a typical death you'd expect for a king and a queen, right? Um, you know, I've done all kinds of stupid things in my life that, that could have ended me, but I've been lucky. But you, you wouldn't think of people being eaten by dogs, um, their blood being licked from dogs. It's pretty gruesome, horrible, um, lowly type death that you wouldn't think of for royalty. But God's judgment is always just and his word is always right and true. You know, that's uh, that's the end of our lesson text today of the account of Ahab, Jezebel, and Naboth. You know, with that, that fresh on our minds, with thinking of the principles and lessons that could be taken from this chapter, and there there's many. Let's uh, let's try to apply a few of those things to to abortion, to pro-choice. As I said, to me that's a an example of pro-choice in the Bible where they chose to, to do whatever they wanted regardless of the consequences for others. But a couple of things that I think we can pull to the, from this to apply to abortion is, number one, you know, murder is sinful. Murder is wrong. And Genesis 9-6 tells us, whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. You know, God, he, he instilled the importance And sacredness of life in us from the very beginning. You know, when He made us, God made us in His image. You know, we're something special. We're not just like a a rabbit or a deer or a raccoon or whatever you might go hunting for when you kill one of them. We're uh, we're people, and it's obvious throughout Scriptures that we're not to murder. There's countless verses in the Bible that talk about um, you shall not murder. Exodus 20:13 says just that: "You shall not murder." As part of the Ten Commandments. Um, we'll, we'll read just a few to get the point across, but there's there's countless verses that mention this. First uh, John 3:15 says, "No murderer has eternal life abiding in him." Revelation 21:8 lists murders as those that, that will have their portion in the lake of fire, the second death. So we can see, and I think it's apparently obvious to everyone with with half a conscience that murder is wrong. You know, Jezebel and Ahab, they. They'd done it enough to them. They were numb to it. But we know murder is always wrong. God has given certain ways that, that people can be killed for certain, uh, certain allowances. But straight up murder, killing someone for your own selfish reasons, is not, not something that's allowed in the Word of God. The second point I want to bring out today you know, it's not really addressed in our text, but it's crucial principle against abortion is that life in the womb is real life. You know, human life. The baby that's inside the mother before it's born is, is a human being with, with life and with a soul. And there's countless scriptures throughout the, throughout the Bible that reference that as well. Uh, Jeremiah 1:5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before God formed Jeremiah in the womb, he knew that he was going to be a prophet. He knew who he was. He had intimate knowledge of him. He says, I knew you before I formed you in the womb. Judges 13:5 says. So Samson was a Nazarite from the womb. You know, the, the angel of the Lord told, told his mother, make sure, be careful of her diet, for Samson will be a Nazirite for, from the womb. Isaiah 49.1, Isaiah was called from the womb. You know, all these things happened while they were still inside their mother, before they had been born. Um, and there's countless other references that are likened to it throughout Scripture. Couple more that we'll look at is in the New Testament, Luke 1:41, and we all know know it well. May not know that verse exactly, but we know of it. It's talking about John the Baptist when he was inside his mother Elizabeth. It also says, uh, "When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that the babe within her leaped in her womb." And the word "babe" there is what we'll pull out to make make an application of today. But when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And also in Luke chapter 2, verses 11 to 16, that word babe is mentioned again in reference to Jesus when he is uh, laying wrapped in the swallowing cloths in the manger. And what we want to pull out from there is that that's the same Greek word. The same Greek word for babe is used in both of these verses when it's applied to John the Baptist while he was still inside his mother Elizabeth before he'd been born and to Jesus when he was laying the swaddling cloths in the manger after he'd been born. You know, to people today, the, the baby inside the woman in, their, in her stomach is most of the time called a, a fetus. You know, they don't want to apply, you know, real words to it. So they call it that. It seems more like, more scientific, more like a mass that, uh, than a human baby. But to God, God doesn't differentiate. To him, a baby's a baby. He calls it a babe when it's prior to birth while still inside the woman. And after birth, when it's laying in a manger and, and swallowing cloth. To him, a babe is a babe. And we need, to, we need to do the same thing. We need to make sure we're using the same terms and words, too. Because those, those terms can be used to twist things and make people not see it for what it really is. One other one is Zechariah 12.1. It says, God forms the spirit of man within him. You know, how do we receive that spirit inside of us? Well, of course, it comes from God. Alright, so our next, our next, our last point we want y'all to make about this as we pull, pull principles and points from Ahab and Jezebel and Naboth and apply them to, to abortion is innocence. Innocence. You know, Naboth, he had an air of innocence about him during this whole situation with Ahab and Jezebel. Um, we mentioned earlier that his only recorded words in Scripture or him declaring to do what God commanded. When he was accused of the blasphemy against God and the king, of course, you know, we, we know that Jezebel set that up, probably compensated those scoundrels for saying those things, and Naboth was innocent of that as well. You know, he was not guilty of the blasphemy, but, but he was murdered anyhow. You know, when we consider Naboth's innocence, when we consider that in the light of our topic today, we have to ask the question, you know, how does God view harming the innocent? In Proverbs 6, 17, in Proverbs 6 there, it talks about a lot of things that God hates, and things that God abhors. And one of those things in verse 17 is God hates hands that shed innocent blood. And that's something that's a, it's a big deal when abortion is talked about. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. In Exodus 23, 7 says, do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. So God obviously feels strongly about how we treat innocent people. And this leads us to ask another question. You know, what's more innocent than a baby? What could possibly be more innocent than a little baby still inside his mother's womb? And how does God feel about the harm from abortion that, that comes to, to innocent babies? You know, Amos, Amos chapter 1 Verses 13 and 14. I didn't write that one down, so i going to have to turn and read that one. Amos 1, 13 and 14. Now this is, uh, this is talking about the transgressions of the people of Ammon. It says there in 13 and 14, it says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they ripped open the women with child in Gilead, that they might enlarge their territory. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall destroy its palaces. Amid shouting in the day of battle, and a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. So they had ripped open the women with child in Gilead to enlarge their territory. Sounds extremely similar to the practice of abortion today, and and God did not allow that to continue. God uh, dealt very harshly with those people, and I think he'll do the same today. I don't think that... uh, he would allow it today any more than he would then. You know, babies are innocent. They're, they're born without sin, and I think we all know that, despite um, many denominations preaching otherwise and teaching different things through, through infant baptism and sprinkling and stuff like that. That They say babies are born, born in sin. I think we, and, and through the scriptures, can, can show that that's definitely not the case. Uh, Matthew 19, 14 says, Let the little children come to me. For if such is the kingdom of heaven. Of course, that's Jesus speaking there. It says, Of such is the kingdom of heaven of the little children. Matthew 18, 3, just one chapter back from it, says, Unless, talking to, uh, to, to his disciples, says, Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So we have to become like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to humble ourselves down to, to their level. Ezekiel 28:15 talking to the king to the king of Tyre says that you were perfect from the day of creation until sin was found in you. You know that sums it up right there when you're talking about is a baby, you know, sinless, is a born without sin, says you are perfect from the day of creation until sin was found in you. Until you had grown, till you had matured, until you had reached a point where you knew right from wrong, until you had hit that age of accountability and actually sinned, you had no sin. And today we want to try to, to parallel this Old Testament account with pro-choice today. We want to try to compare the two, try to uh, learn from from what happened in the Old Testament and apply that today. You know, pro-choice, it's uh, hopeful whenever we hear that word in the future, it'll remind us of the, the account of Ahab and Jezebel and Naboth, the uh, the selfish choices they made with with no morality or lack of, of consequence, and hopefully it'll you know keep us from you know thinking that this is a, an acceptable thing to do in any sort of way, and maybe it'll help us give uh, give thoughts to how we can talk to others about um, the, the horrors of abortion. Maybe us ourselves will we'll think carefully before. Elevating our own, our own desires and uh, our own desires for our, our well being and our life over others. Um, Matthew 7:12 sums up a lot of problems that we have in the world today. It says, uh, Do unto others as you have them do unto you. You know, if we all acted that way in everything we did, there would be no, be no abortion, be no murder, be no other sins like this because we would be thinking about others. We would try to take care of others and put them above us not put ourselves above them. Uh, So as we make make different choices in our life, we all make choices all the time. Let's make sure that we're not making them for selfish reasons, make sure that we're not um, putting ourselves higher than than we should be, not making choices with a lack of morality or consequence in mind. Um, Let's try to do unto others as we'd have them do to us. That's that's basically my lesson for us today. So if you've... uh, heard something tonight that hopefully pricked your heart in any kind of way. If you have any sin in your life that uh, needs to be taken care of, there's something we can help you with in that remind, regard. If you're um, a child that's, you know, has been perfect all your life and is starting to reach that age of accountability and has questions about baptism, questions about salvation, or it's already, we'd like to make that, make that happen in their lives. We'd love to help you in any way we can. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to see you baptized or If you're an errant child of God, we would definitely love to see you come back and make things right. Um, Again, if there's anything we can do at all to help you in any way, just just please come as we stand to sing this song.